0: Hello, welcome to the Here's Looking At You podcast. My name is Dr Ellen Wright. Welcome to the fourth Here's Looking At You podcast. Today's podcast, Wondering About Wonder Woman, is a discussion of Wonder Woman in her various incarnations, prompted by the recent release of the film by the same name. I'm Ellen Wright and I'm a lecturer in cinema and television history at De Montfort University and I specialise in historic media representations of sexuality and gender. an interesting figure who intersects in a number of ways with my research interests. An agent transmedia female character, a bombshell figure, rooted in feminism but also steeped at various points in fetish imagery, why would I not be interested in her? With the recent release of Patty Jenkins' superhero origin story, I decided it was time I learned more about Wonder Woman's various incarnations and meanings. And in order to do this, I had an enlightening conversation with two fascinating experts. The first, Dr. Raina Dennison, Senior Lecturer at the University of East Anglia, an author of Anime, A Critical Introduction, and the editor of the Eisner Award-nominated Superheroes on World Screens. And my second guest, Melanie Adams of Madam's pin talented pin-up artist and Wonder Woman expert and mega fan and the lady who really piqued my interest in the Wonder Woman figure. Before we get started I just want to remind you that if you'd like to be updated when further here's looking at new podcasts are available simply subscribe to the website. I'd also very much like to hear your opinions on the points we discuss here so please feel free to leave comments on the page or tweet me at Dr Now let's join the conversation. So I'm here today with two very interesting guests. I have with me Dr. Raina Dennison and Melanie Adams. And I will say, <laughs> just before we get started, that Melanie is resplendent today in Wonder Woman t-shirt, Wonder Woman necklace. She has a Wonder Woman cuddly toy with her. Yeah, it's really quite impressive. Uh, you've really gone all out. Oh, Wonder Woman mug as well. Lovely. Okay. I'd like to
1: say I made the effort just for you, Ellen, but I do usually look like this most days. So. <laughs> Just take it as
0: red. <laughs> I'm liking that you're channeling Diana Prince That's good In your everyday life <laughs> Okay then I've seen the Wonder Woman film twice now And I wanted to discuss the Wonder Woman archetype In a various transmedia iterations Now Ruth Mayer talks about the idea of storytelling engines And these are essentially like figures or archetypes That appear over and over in the media So examples I'm thinking of would be something like Sherlock Holmes dracula that emerge and are reworked over and over again and it's clearly because they're somehow relevant in the 1970s tv series of wonder woman that some of the lyrics in the theme music are now the world is ready for you this idea that clearly she's going to make some sort of change So Wonder Woman is one of these archetypal figures. So I'm wondering, ladies, based on your expertise, why do you think she emerged initially in the 1940s when she first emerged? Why she might have emerged in the 1970s in that TV series? And why she might be emerging again now? Why is she relevant? Is there anything specifically that you find interesting about her that you think other people might be finding particularly interesting?
1: Well, I think... um Wonder Woman as an archetype, she's always going to be relevant because really, I mean, you've mentioned a few there, Sherlock Holmes. Um, generally, they tend to fall under the, the reign of male because it's generally males that rule the system and therefore they need their archetypes to, to refer to. Women don't have that many. We have Virgin Mary characters. We have prostitute characters <laughs> in their various guises. And that's kind of it. There's, there's no other in between. But what Diana brings, what the Wonder Woman character brings, is the balance of the male and the feminine, the, the strength, but with the beauty. And that's something that always needs to be remembered because she first came out in the 1940s when that first wave of feminism had been, sort of been swept up for the second time. I mean, Marston was at university in Harvard in 1911 when Emmeline Pankhurst came
0: to talk. Can I just interject then? So Marston, you're mentioning Marston. Who is Marston for yeah, those who don't the know? he's the creator
1: of Wonder Woman. So he went on to create Wonder Woman. Not much is known about his his sort of younger life. I suspect he had quite an interesting mother figure <laughs> because of what he went on to write um and how he went about it. But he was he was very much a a, a bit ahead of his time male feminist right from the from the get-go. And then when he went to university, Harvard had a very strong suffragette movement at the time. As I said, Emmeline Pankhurst came to talk. So that was the sort of university upbringing that he had. He met his wife there, who was a staunch feminist. She was studying um, psychology, as was he. That's where they met. She sort of worked um, on research projects with him. And, you know, at the time, that was... You look back now and you think... women in, in universities is probably a fairly recent thing. Well, it, it really isn't. It kind of went through those initial stages of the first wave of feminism where women were told they could do what they want, they were smart, they were better. And then as, it kind of, as history goes on, we lose track of that a lot. <laughs> and and as, as you said, Wonder Woman re-emerged in the 70s. The moments where she really comes into her own are the same moments of those waves of feminism kicking in again. And she's always going to be held in, in the same um, thought processes of those those terms of feminist waves. That's why she's the archetype for them, really. I,
2: I would completely agree with that. I mean, one of the really interesting things about Wonder Woman's initial creation in 1941 is the fact that it seems to have been collaborative, that um, yeah. William Moulton Marston was working with his wife, Elizabeth, and they, they seem to have come up with the character in collaboration although he's the only one who gets credited with her later on um it's a it's a really interesting thing wonder woman has always been stuck between two different poles and has always therefore been a bit controversial so she is in her initial creation half suffragist half bombshell and there is this tension that runs right through her life in both well i suppose across all media um And for me, one of the interesting things about that is the tension it creates around beauty and power. And I think that's really important within the Wonder Woman story. And so you're absolutely right. I think whenever there is a moment where women's power comes into question, Wonder Woman starts to become more important again. And, you know, her appearance in the 1940s is is no mistake. She is there and and Marston specifically talks about having created her to balance out the growing male dominance of the idea of the hero in comic books so she's intended to be an answer to Superman and Batman she's intended to challenge those ideas right at the very beginning Um, and her appearance during that period of conflict and war is really important because that was a period where women's lot in life was changing as well where women were going into the workplace more than before and so it's very interesting to see that after Marston's death in 1948, I think it is, she suddenly goes through a transformation. So post-war period, Wonder Woman transforms and becomes the girlfriend character in her own stories. And that's a real change for that character. She was initially powerful and, and working you know, as a hero on her own. It's interesting as well what happens to her in the 70s. She's put on the cover of the first issue of Ms. Magazine by Gertrude Stein um, in 1972, which is a huge moment for feminist culture adopting this character and making her part of the second wave of feminism. But there's a really interesting academic article that shows that the comic book had already started trying to be more feminist at that point. And actually Stein had unintentionally closed down Wonder Woman's nascent feminism within the comic book by co-opting her into the feminist movement itself. So actually the comic book seems to have responded by going back, by backing off the feminist narratives and going back to a more, shall we say, traditional story for Wonder Woman, which is, you know, they had this great six issue arc and then went back to the way things had been previously. You probably know more about this than I do, though, if you want to jump in there.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, the six-issue arc never actually got published. The first one did. No uh... The first yeah, one did. Right. It, was, it, it was branded as the women's lib issue, and it actually came after a whole series where Wonder Woman had given up her godlike powers in order to move to man's world, because Steve Trevor was such a dreamboat, <laughs> basically. She... So because... <laughs> Because she didn't have powers anymore, she didn't have the uniform, she didn't have the lasso, she had none of her accoutrements other than her beautiful physique and charm. Uh, So what she does, she she buys a pantsuit and she starts a fashion boutique. This was intended at the time from the guy who wrote this, and note that a guy who wrote this, he thought, okay, we're going to get on in this feminist movement, let's make Wonder Woman her own boss. Let's make her buy a business. She's going to run it herself. She's going to be strong and she's going to be forceful. And she's not going to wear short skirts anymore. She's going to wear a pantsuit because that's what women's livers look like. But, you know, the thought was there, but it wasn't executed particularly well. She ended up not really doing very much. I mean, she, you know, she tries to um, help women who were being underpaid in the workplace. And okay, yeah, the, the effort was made there. But then... She's also doing babysitting storylines. And it's all a bit naff and, and without much weight, really. So then they, they, they decide they're going to do this specific women's lib issue where um, uh, this rally of, of feminists wanted to join in on their march. And uh, she says something along the lines of, you know, whilst I sympathise with the cause, I'm not really a joiner. And for the most part, I don't really like women anyway. Okay, this is the same woman that Marston created as being from an island of only women, not not a single yeah. man. Um, she didn't even need semen to be created originally. She was molded from clay and then breathed life into by a female god. There's, there's not a single guy on this girl's radar, really that's the vision he had not that she was anti-men but that's where she came from
2: and just to jump in go there ahead. it's really interesting because in the new film they go back to that original story yeah. about diana being molded from clay but now it's yeah. zeus that breathes life into diana and not yeah. a, not a goddess so yeah.
0: there are subtle changes in the new dc version of yeah. wonder Woman. can't One.
1: give her all
0: the power back don't be silly <laughs> i must admit as well you're saying um that they said that she wasn't much of a joiner but She's in the Justice League, is she not? So she's kind of joined there.
1: She was asked to join the Justice Society of America in the mid-40s. She helped on a mission and she was, you know, really cool and helped them. And so they asked her to join them as their secretary. And her response to that is um, something along the lines of, wow, that's such an honour. And she bloody does. And then later, you know, so then she's shown going on all the guys are going on these missions to save the world fight this god and, and get rid of this bad guy and wonder woman's always sat there at the desk making notes looking wistfully off into the distance saying oh i wish how how i could be with you guys there, there is a an issue where um the guys are off on a mission and basically they get captured by the bad guy and there's only wonder woman left in the office so she phones all her feminist friends as led by Etta Candy, and they band together and they storm in and they save the guys. But, oh no, the bad guy captures them and and they all get tied up. And then the male superheroes have to swoop in at the end of the issue and save them instead. So, you know, there's those little moments of them trying to give us something really cool to do. And then it's, oh, back to the office, love. Make make us a cup of tea.
2: (laughs) And you see that later on in the comics in the 80s and 90s as well, where they're desperately trying to pair Wonder Woman and Superman off in a romantic relationship <laughs> you know this this is a storyline like what do you do with Wonder Woman you know yeah. and that that linking back to romance narratives to narratives yeah. of domesticity narratives of i guess of supportive workplace environments you know where she 's there to support and help but not to lead there There have been these issues all the way through her history and and it does seem like dc struggles to figure out what to do with this feminist icon
1: i think one of the um one of the issues where they they never know what to do with wonder woman and you are absolutely right i mean not only is does she come with all the female baggage but she has lots of other issues you know you look at superman he's got lex luthor you look at batman he's got his joker they they've all got these Nemesis, who they are constantly striving against. So if the story falls a bit weak, I'll bring the Joker out. We'll 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 have him fight the Joker because people are going to expect that anyway. Wonder Woman doesn't really have one. She really doesn't have that many recurring enemies. The
0: patriarchy—that's a nemesis, (laughs) isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's it. That (laughs) is it.
1: And that's a really hard sell to your average comic book audience because. You know, young guys don't really want to read about why they're rubbish. <laughs> in broad sweeping terms, obviously. <laughs> she should be given slightly more to do, because if she was given more to do in, in other storylines, then the feminist storylines would kind of make more sense. They'd be a lot more relatable, and they'd, they'd fit in with the whole universe slightly better, because otherwise it does skew her towards this sort of feminist archetype which isn't always the easiest sell.
2: Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I find really interesting about the new film and the way it's trying to relate back and forth to the the franchise in the past is the way that DC are trying to reimagine a, a version of Wonder Woman that fits in the post-feminist moment. Yes. And I I think they've been they've been really clever in the film. There are some really nice moments in there for feminists who who have by and large, been responding very positively to it. But I think one of the more difficult passages for me is the one where you see Wonder Woman working in the Louvre, in the antiquities and history department. And I I find that very interesting. So her, her workplace now, in the modern era, is shut away in a basement of a museum. And I think that tells you a lot about how DC are feeling about this female character. That she is someone they're
0: still not quite sure what to do with. Okay. yeah, yeah, I see your point. No, that's quite interesting, yeah. You've actually taken us into the territory of the next question I was going to ask anyway, Raina, which was about this current incarnation of Wonder Woman. I'm wondering if you'd both seen the film, what you thought of the film, is there anything you found particularly interesting or frustrating and I don't necessarily just mean the film itself, thinking about the the promotional strategies as well, if there's anything that sort of leapt out at you or any stories or anything you've seen on the internet that was particularly grabbing your attention at all, I wonder if anyone wanted to lead on that.
2: Uh, Well one of the interesting things of course is Gal Gadot who's presence as an Israeli star in the film, calls the film to be controversial in the Lebanon and other places. So we still we have this wonderful franchise and and actually a pretty good film that is still highly politicized in a way that might not have been quite as predictable. You know, I I think that's that is predictable. It is predictable that the Lebanon would have a problem with an Israeli fronted film. Mm. But it is still somewhat of a surprise because it was nothing to do with the content of the film. Yeah. Because normally the, the big problem is it's too American or it doesn't work in terms of representation for the censors in particular countries. This one was simply to do with nationality and that in itself is quite an interesting difference to other big superhero movies. This isn't like Captain America where they have to rename it so that it doesn't sound quite so American. This is something that's much more nationalist at the level of casting, so that's quite interesting, I thought.
1: I thought actually the way they um they chose her her, her band of merry men, as it were. Um yeah. <laughs> the the fact that they were they were a rabble, they were from different countries, they had different accents, they had different appearances, they all had different backstories. Yes, they were men, and I know there's there's been some comment about how they wanted to see her interacting with more females when she comes to man's world. But actually, at the time that it's set, it it makes absolute sense that she would be surrounded by men. You know, Etta Candy is there and... I absolutely adore Etta Candy. I mean, she is my spirit animal, frankly. (laughs) Any woman that has got a handbag that has got a a hammer in it to beat you with and a bar of chocolate. She's a great character and she brought loads and loads of humour to the the film, which I think was another very positive thing. Some of the the DC films have had the critique of being too dark. It was nice to have that level of comedy because actually... The Wonder Woman of the original books, although it deals with a lot of, you know, heavy feminist-laden topics, it's quite lighthearted. There's loads of, of stories where Etta Candy's bringing in the feminists and spanking people with paddles. Oh, that, by the way.
2: Oh, God. The, the
1: Dr. Poison. <laughs> Do you know that in, in the book, when they capture Dr. Poison, who is the baddie of, of this film, that, that Etta Candy spanks her with a paddle? That's her punishment. Where was that in the film? (laughs) That's a whole different film. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, yeah. I suspect that would have taken a whole different marketing slant, but it is funny to (laughs) acknowledge that. But, yeah, I did appreciate the way they'd they'd made the effort to make it less America-centric, even down to the uniform, which I know initially lots of people had issues with it. They've changed the outfit, and where's the star-spangled bit? And, yeah, okay, but it did mean that it is much less about America. And let's face it, this is a story set in World War I, which was completely an international battle. America did come into it quite late. They did play a part, but they came into it quite late. And, you know, so this is an international thing. When she first comes, she comes into England. She travels around a lot. It isn't about, it's not the Linda Carter blue-eyed American dreamboat. As gorgeous as she is, and I love that woman, and her portrayal of Wonder Woman is fantastic. This version of Wonder Woman is quite different, but I liked it just as much. I have to say, because I think it seemed more relevant now.
2: I, I have to say, it's it's really interesting because I thought the quote you were going to start with was the one about fighting for her rights in her satin time. Ah, it's it's awful, party. isn't it? <laughs> I honestly did think that was where you were going to start with that quote. And it, I have to admit, it's one that stuck with me since the 1970s when I was first watching this show uh, in syndication that I'm not that old. <laughs> but what's really interesting to me is that there's still little asides to that. It's not that. And the uniform is a bit problematic still. You know, there, she talks about the uniform as armor. in in the movie but even by comparison to the other Amazons she's wearing a lot less than they do most of the Amazons have at least long kind of skirts that they wear with the giant slits at the legs that go all the way to the waist pretty much but as armor she's left quite bare legged a lot of the time and I have to say just for the sake of um, me wanting her to be more of an obvious feminist character and less overtly sexualized I could have done with just a an inch more on the skirt so that when they shoot her from below you're not just looking at her underwear. Yeah. And that does happen a lot during the movie, particularly towards the end with Ares where she's having the big discussion about what gods should do and how the world should be. There's a long sequence where you're just looking up at her legs and her underwear. But I think one of the other interesting things about the internationalism of the movie, which is great by the way, and I totally agree with both of you on that is the way They put that in every aspect of the movie. So it's there in the background characters who never speak. So the sequence where Wonder Woman and Steve walk along the the dockside and he buys her an ice cream. If you look in the background, you've got nurses there. You've got Sikhs. You've got African-American or British African people there. It's, It's really interesting how closely they've been paying attention to the diversity issue in comic books and how white most of these movies tend to be. Mm. And they've really made an effort there, which is great. Mm.
0: Were you wanting to raise a point, Melanie? or
1: Yeah, I just wanted to come back to the um, the short skirt issue, which I know is it's always going to be one of those contentious issues. I have less of a problem with it because when I, when I see that uniform, I see a gladiator. But that's what I see. I completely understand that other eyes will see it differently. And that, you know, maybe an impressionable youth would see her as a sexual creature. But to me, bare flesh is not automatically sexual.
2: To be fair, the guy in the movie theater next to me when I saw it in Glasgow for the second time, the minute her face appeared on screen, he was like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) so it's not just about her being, you know, sexualized. Gal Gadot is an incredibly beautiful woman. And um, let's not lose sight of the fact that she can wear anything and look beautiful. This uniform has been one of controversy since the beginning of Wonder Woman's mm. existence. It's not a new thing. I Absolutely do agree you're right
1: um i I did I was thankful that the bus line had been raised because it was always my fear with Linda Carter that at any point that could go horrifically wrong. <laughs> as with with you know you look at any comic book from the last 20 years, you are thinking your superpower is basically tit tape. That's all it is. <laughs> uh, so I, I I am pleased that the bus line got raised. Her boots were very high, so really what you got was a flash of thigh. There's a whole internet meme fest about the thigh jiggle, which I think is fantastic. That's a woman's body. You know, that wasn't photoshopped to not jiggle or to hide cellulite not that Gal Gadot has cellulite I'm sure but you know it, you could see that muscle jiggling when she jumped up and down and she landed on things and people are going crazy for that <laughs> but you know there was also the the pre the pre-lash <laughs> about the uh, uh armpit gate where, oh, um, where yes, in yeah. the promo materials her armpits were deemed to have been photoshopped to be more feminine perhaps
0: okay <laughs> Grief. Right, okay. Um, so I'm going to direct this primarily to you, Rayner, if that's okay. Bearing in mind your expertise in Asian cinema and culture and what have you, I mean, you mentioned this idea of internationalism anyway. So I'm thinking about sort of broader understandings of Wonder Woman. Obviously, we're here in England and it's an American film, but I'm wondering if we can maybe sort of think a little bit about how other audiences have maybe responded to Wonder Woman. I've done a little bit of Googling on the internet and sort of found out that there was a little bit of controversy in Japan. Yeah, I yes, wonder if you could talk about is. that.
2: And it wasn't really controversy. It's an interesting mm. part of it. So Wonder Woman in Asia, or I suppose Japan is where I know best. Mm. And in the studies I've done of... American superheroes in Japan, it's often the male characters that are more famous than the others. And But she does turn up in odd and strange ways in, in Japanese manga and television. Um, for example, in the late 1970s, I think 78, around then, Marvel licensed a live action television show of Spider-Man for Japan, which was quite popular, ran for a season, had a movie. But the main antagonist, or the main antagonist, hench, woman was a character called Amazoness (laughs) who about halfway through the season suddenly changed costume to take on a much more Wonder Woman style look she had the, the kind of tiara she had Native American style embroidery on her suit all of a sudden which suddenly turned into a mini skirted uniform so there were little hints that this was supposed to be a Wonder Woman knockoff or ripoff I think. Um, Even back in the 70s, she's there then, but maybe not how we would expect. Um, She, of course, has been imported to Japan through her own comic books subsequently. So there there is a good knowledge of her out there. But yes, when they cut the trailer for Wonder Woman in Japan, they cut it as a romance. So all of the things we've been talking about so far about her being caught in that tension between bombshell and feminist kind of went away and she became a romantic heroine. So it's all about her and Steve in this trailer. If you get a chance to see it go see it because it's incredible. Right.
1: I actually thought they handled the uh, the romance aspect of it quite well. It keeps it you know the will they won't they thing keeps things interesting. But they, they completely switched the dynamic which was it was kind of overt, if you go in looking for it, that, hello, here's my feminist placard. I'm going to hold it up now. This is where Diana um, looks at Steve. He's the one that's naked. She's the one that's fully dressed. Let's switch this around and see how you guys feel about it. And I thought, although sometimes it was a little bit spelled out in capital letters, I really enjoyed the way they sort of paid homage to it, but at the same time made the story work. You know, she when she finds him in the bathtub just as he's emerging, looking all glistening and gorgeous. You know, she, she looks at him and she looks him up and down and takes him in and he thinks, hey up, I'm on to a winner here. But then she asks him about his watch. He's kind of equally as interesting to her as his timepiece because she's seen neither of these two things before. Here they turn it on its head a bit, but they didn't shove it down your throat. And yeah, there's a little bit of a kiss, but the kiss comes not at the point where you think it's going to come. And then they talk about how... After the big battle and once Ares is defeated and the war's over, neither of them have got anything to go to. Because they're both these people who are fighting for good. And once that fight's done, what what do they do? And they sort of they, they connect on that base emotion level. And that's what sparks the kiss, not not anything to do with cleavage or biceps.
0: So Rayner, I'm going to pick on you again and then I'll turn to Melanie at the end, I think. So I'm aware, obviously, you've edited superheroes on world screens and obviously you've got a specialism in the anime bits and pieces. And also, I'm very aware that you have written on transnational marketing and your piece of work on Spirited Away is something that I use on one of my modules. I mean, obviously, you've started to talk about this idea of how it's sold in other nations, Wonder Woman. But also I'm thinking about in anime, obviously, female characters... Are such a big part of anime clearly i mean i know very little about anime to be honest uh, but the thing that really sort of comes through is sort of very stylized images of women you can maybe see where i'm going here in terms of <laughs> melanie asking you a question in a moment stylized images of women i'm wondering if maybe you can talk around some of those ideas if you wanted to talk more about sort of anime contexts and and how she might fit within other national content oh concert. goodness me yes so japan is an
2: anime i suppose have a, have a very complex relationship to gender interestingly unlike american comic books where men tend to be represented in these hyper masculinized super muscly clad in very little sprayed on lycra kind of things the heroes of manga and anime tend to be schoolboys. they don't tend to be these great big hero characters which may explain why there's so many what are called battling beauties in anime and manga there there is a whole academic (laughs) book called battling beauties and it's this idea that as anime has grown up as japanese superhero television has grown up over the years we've seen more and more of these teams of female superheroes coming out and they are warrior women it's just that sometimes the superheroes have school child alter egos who are ditzy and silly and all the things that you might expect of a stereotyped representation of the schoolgirl yeah as i said the it's a very complicated relationship because these are battling women these are warrior women but just like in wonder woman comic books they're being produced for a largely male audience at least at times they've been very popular with a male audience and so you get what's called fan service in anime This is shots of women up their skirts, potentially, or in their underwear. Even Sailor Moon, famously in her transformation sequence, is seen naked briefly before her new uniform comes along. And she's one of the more famous examples of the kind of warrior hero girl. I mean, what's interesting is recently with things like Madoka Magica, um, there's been a swing to post-modernize some of those ideas of women and their representations in that particular series you get these very young girls who are almost forced to become battling beauties but as they do they really don't want to and so there's a resistance to those representations and to the idea of transformation and to the way they look once they've transformed none of them are particularly happy about this so i think even though there's been this you know, really strong generic presence for these battling beauties and their sexualized representations in anime, I think now there is becoming more and more of a, an awareness that there should be other ways that women can be represented. I think one of the nice things about the Wonder Woman movie is the fact that it's really hard to draw where these things are coming from, but I think the emotional resonances of it, the handling of the action, were all so much better than I've seen in recent DC movies much better than in either Suicide Squad or Batman vs Superman, for example. I just think they got the emotional side of it much, much better for this movie. So you cared about what happened to the characters a lot more than in some of the other movies. Suicide Squad was pretty good, but I know they did a lot of reshooting on that.
0: Mm, Yes. So
2: I don't know if that's the movie they were going for originally or whether that was something that happened because Deadpool was so successful. But I, I do think it's important. Having a female led, female centered movie in Hollywood at this point is enormously important. It is not the first time it's been happening. You know, there are female superhero movies out there, hmm. they just tend to be ensemble cast movies. And interestingly, female villains tend to get movies before female superheroes. So we've had the not particularly good Elektra and Catwoman movies in recent memory. Those were not great, but, you know, we saw the kind of breakout Margot Robbie performance as Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad. You know, she is the soul of that movie, and she is the heart of it as well. And, you know, I don't think that it's fair to say there are no superhero movies that have strong female presences within them. You've got the X-Men franchise. We're on our second Jean Grey and our second Storm, you know, for recent, you know, for the last 20 years. They've got two whole universes going on now so it, and
1: mystique.
2: mystique as well again supervillain, superhero who knows um she's a great <laughs> but a great set of characters meaty characters for women to get you know for actresses to get their teeth into and i think more of that would be great to see
0: okay i'm seeing a number of claims in the media that wonder woman was an early pin-up and uh, obviously we've mentioned this idea of the bombshell character and I'm aware that uh, Roger Sabin, a scholar of comics and what have you, refers to a 1940s go-go art trend in comics, which encompass sort of fetish comics and, and that sort of a thing. And you look at, at Wonder Woman and she's clearly this power... You know, she's an Amazon. She's clearly powerful, an agent, and, you know, there's a physical power there. And an awful lot of this... To my mind, the thing that she makes me think of, and I've seen this mentioned actually previously elsewhere and I can't think who says it, but it, she makes me think of the Vaga pinup. Maria Eleanor Bussek, who writes on Pinup, talks about this idea of sort of weaponised femininity and that the Vaga girl was pulled in and this sexuality was weaponized in order to sort of, compel men to go to war but if you look at her as well she's so intimidating as a figure she's sexy as hell but she's ice cold so you're a pin-up artist and you are inured within that culture how much is she a pin-up and if she's a pin-up is that a good thing is that a bad thing does that does that undermine her does that empower her what were your thoughts I on think that? Like,
1: ultimately I mean that's a huge question and but I think ultimately yeah. that <laughs> is for each reader or viewer to decide for themselves. No one can really tell them how they feel about that. However, I do think that when Marston created Wonder Woman, his intention, at the time, there was a backlash against Superman and Batman. They were the first two. They'd come out two years before Wonder Woman. They were these very strong physical guys who were quite dictatorial. They, you know, they, they had their own vision. I mean, Superman's a god from another planet who comes and tells us how we should live our lives. But then war breaks out and suddenly that kind of figure isn't that appealing because it could have negative context. Marston got the job of writing Wonder Woman by being approached by Max Gaines, the head of All-American Comics, um, who had been reading about how comics were detrimental to the youth of today. They were giving out bad images to kids and we didn't want men growing up to be tyrants. And the reason he was approached is because Gaines had read an article written by Olive Byrne, who wrote a column for Family Circle. And in this column, she's, she sort of does an agony aunt story. She invents this setup where she's a mother, she has a troubled son, and in every letter that she answers, it's her question. And in order to answer the question, she has to go to this noted psychologist that she's heard of, who happens to be called William Moulton Marston. Whose name you might remember from earlier in the conversation. Yeah. So he he gives us the answers to these questions, and she goes away happy. And there's one specific story that is about the comic books are they detrimental to youth? William Marston says no, they're not. And Max Gaines reads this article and thinks, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to, to that guy and talk to him. Now Olive Byrne is living with Marston at this point. She's his living mistress. Nobody knows this. It, it's all kept under wraps. So his wife, uh, Elizabeth, she's off um, editing for Encyclopedia Britannica and he's doing his psychology studies uh, at a, a female university. He meets Olive Byrne, who is the daughter of Ethel Byrne, who along with Margaret Sanger set up the very first birth control clinics in America, who was arrested for doing so and was the first woman to go on hunger strike in America. So she comes from pretty hardcore feminist roots. And she is the girlfriend of Marston. She has huge influence on him. But it, it's that it's that newspaper article that she writes under this guise of needing his advice that actually gets Marston the job in the first place. So that that's his roots to Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman herself is suggested as the answer to the problem in that what we really need to fight against all this tyranny is peace and love and and sharing and and compassion, really. And so his wife, Elizabeth, says, well, if you're going to write a character like that, then shouldn't she ought to be female? And so she was. (laughs) And that's how Wonder Woman came to be. Now, how she came to look, which is getting much closer back to your original question, is Harry Peter, who draws her, has worked with people like Lou Rogers on feminist magazines and has himself got a very strong idea of feminism he believes in that he goes to Lou Rogers who he mentored under who's the guy responsible for the really famous image of the woman breaking the chains of oppression from just after the Civil War I think that's from about 1912 something like that so he drew that image and actually later on that image is reproduced by Peter's As Wonder Woman, breaking prejudice and man superiority, an image which has been recreated just last year in the DC Bombshell series with Wonder Woman breaking the chains then. And a lot of the critiques over the sexualisation of Wonder Woman have been over the heavy um, ideal of of bondage in the very very first issues, the Marston-led issues. Always, always, every single issue, Wonder Woman ends up getting tied up and has to escape. Or some other poor woman has been tied up and she has to help her escape. And it was inferred that this was all a sexual thing. Actually, when you look at the image that Lou Rogers originally did of the breaking chains and the fact that that is replicated in the Wonder Woman image later on, you can see that's true to an extent. He did, however, also decide that the way to peace was through loving submission. Basically, he thought, if men submitted to women a lot more, that the world would be a better place. We all know that <laughs> coming back a, a little bit more to your original question about her being sexualized. I think Marston believed that that love is the answer, and that if female powers of persuasion, however sexual that may be, can help make a better world, then why not use it as a weapon the The girls I draw they are sexually self-aware they know they're being looked at but they're okay with that because they're in control of it and I think that's the difference for me I mean I as Raina was saying about the the anime and manga type issues they are to me overtly sexualized, mainly because they do tend to be girls the thing about Wonder Woman is she's a woman She's although she has a great physique she herself is not that sexual and, and I love
2: that
0: you wanted to raise a, a final point, Raina? Two final points, really. One,
2: uh, we do have other female superheroes, and they are grown-up women. It just depends on which iteration of which franchise you're looking at. So Bryan Singer's 2000 movie X-Men, Famke Janssen and Halle Berry, very much full-on superheroes who are women, who are grown-ups. Um, but that's not their movie, and I think that it's because it's an ensemble movie, their presence gets a little pushed to one side. Um, The other point I would make is that Wonder Woman begins as a bombshell, but she has been reinterpreted and reinterpreted and reinterpreted over time, not just in her storylines, but also visually. So there's a point where George Perez takes over writing Wonder Woman in 1987 and kind of reboots her. And at that point, she starts to look an awful lot more like people like Linda Hamilton in Terminator 2, very much more the kind of masculinity thing that Yvonne Tasker talks about around women, Suddenly in the 1980s, early 1990s, becoming more muscular, tougher looking individuals on screen. And I think that's happening in comic books as well. And we see that throughout the 80s and 90s. And it's actually been the early 2000s where things turn again. And Wonder Woman gets reimagined again. And I think it was around 2016 where Greg Rucker takes over as as author. And... She does look different again now, and now she's back to being softer looking, but she's a much more fully rounded character now. Now she is bisexual, potentially. And now she is, like you were saying before, a grown-up woman, but one who wears armor, and one who is more of an overt warrior rather than a, a hugely muscled superhero kind of figure. So I think yeah. she changes with the times. And I think that's part, that kind of chameleon thing is part of her charm. Yeah. Um, and that, that may be where the bombshell side of Peter's imagining of Wonder Woman is actually helpful for her because that goes so out of date so quickly that every artist who's come along since has kind of updated her for the, for the time she is in, which is frankly wonderful. <laughs> you know, it's nice... It's wonderful to see that this woman can be powerful in every new generation and can take on every new generation's version of what that looks like and how that sounds.
1: One thing I love about her um, interpretation in the new Bombshells uh, series, oh, which uh, the DC Bombshells, which is my absolute favourite, written and drawn, might I add, by women. If you don't know about it, it, it's an ensemble piece where basically all any female character from the DC canon is catapulted into this same universe. But so they're they're fighting the axis of evil, but they're living in this uh, sort of atypical version of history where women are the dominant gender. Page one, Batwoman is shown as being in a a lesbian relationship. No one questions it. It, It's considered the norm. Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy are in an on-again, off-again relationship, and it's a thing of beauty, and they're always flirting with each other, and it's nice. But at the same time, it, it's about female friendship, and they're all completely individually rounded personalities, and that I've never seen in comics before. There's almost no men in it at all. There's a couple. But the majority are just great, rounded female characters. One of the questions you asked early on is, is why is Wonder Woman relevant now? Why has she re-emerged now? One of Marston's statements when he first created Wonder Woman was that within 100 years, matriarchy will rule. We are on year 76 at the moment. Oh, pressure on So, man. girls, we've got 24 years to get our act together to fulfill his dream. And let's face it, if if women and girls, and especially young girls, if they keep reading things like DC DC Bombshells, where they see strong, independent, beautiful, but not overtly sexual women banding together, being friends, being positive towards each other. If young girls are reading that now, then who knows in 24 years the matriarchy may well have an ability
0: to to hold its own. I think that's probably a really lovely note to end this on. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very very much ladies. Um I'm hugely appreciative of your time and expertise. Thank you. Troubles, Talk about trouble. Self- Yet another fascinating conversation It's great to learn more about Wonder Woman's backstory And discuss her in broader context As I expected we talked about Wonder Woman And Marston's walking the line of agency and exploitation In terms of a comic book representation And I thought that was great And I've never heard of the term fan service before And I have to do some research on that The notion of battling beauty is also fascinating That idea of women being embattled against their will Clearly has a lot of mileage in it It's also interesting to hear about what Japanese markets were doing with the Wonder Woman figure and if we'd had time I'd have loved to have discussed the transmedia marketing more. If you're interested check out the article on Japan today about the girlifying of Wonder Woman and how Japanese Twitter users really weren't happy about this. I'll include a link to the article on my website. I also found Melanie's point about role models and how we need more rounded representations of femininity for young girls to be very compelling, along with the discussion we had about the politicisation of Wonder Woman's costume and how that shifted over time. I have to say, whilst both of my guests clearly enjoyed the film, and I know many others have too, it took me two watches to get to grips with it. I had high expectations and whilst I liked the film, I felt it didn't always meet them. In a nutshell, I found Ares too camp and not in a good way, the end fight sequence went on way too much, Etta Candy was underused and I'm just not the biggest fan of superhero narratives generally, they're a bit too smashy crashy for me. There's one element that really grabbed me though, and it's not actually the fight scenes as seems to be proving the case for so many filmgoers. Interestingly, Raina mentioned how she found the fact that Wonder Woman was an archivist tucked t- away in the Louvre particularly problematic and how it was possibly indicative of how DC maybe find Wonder Woman an anachronism, that they don't really know what to do with her. An understandable point but it was an interpretation that I hadn't made. For me, the notion of Diana as a curator, and bear in mind that she's also the narrator, it's her voice that opens and closes the film, gives her an agency that for me was one of the most enjoyable aspects of the film. As I'm sure Raina does, I spend a lot of time in archives as part of my research, and I can tell you it's slow and painstaking, and it's absolutely not action-packed. In my work as a film historian, I personally tend to engage much more with material culture around film rather than the films themselves so like old posters, press books, pin-up photographs, collectibles, reviews, fan magazines so just like Diana in the Louvre, I also deal with and collect stuff, objects, evidence On the second watch, I felt a strong resonance with Diana as a guardian of material culture and therefore a writer or preserver of history Often it's those in power with the greatest investment, with the most powerful voice that write history and the marginalised are often either vilified or written out of history entirely. As Phil Smith has pointed out to me, Superman, as an ubermensch in his alter ego of Clark Kent, writes history as well as making it. Winston Churchill said, history will be kind to me for I intend to write it and history is all about control. And as many historians have argued, women are often written out of history. They are also rans or entirely absent. Returning to the theme tune lyric for the 1970s Wonder Woman TV series, that notion that now the world is ready for you, Melanie mentions how society progresses cyclically through progress and retrenchment. And here, Diana is shown to be quietly, Painstakingly preparing for that next retrenchment and the next wave when the world is ready for her again and ensuring that evidence exists to drive that progress forward. And as a historian, often focusing on women's culture and a history teacher, I found that to be profoundly powerful. If I turn briefly to probably the most talked about sequence in the film, that No Man's Land sequence, we see Wonder Woman's unrelenting bombardment, a metaphor for every woman's unrelenting bombardment by the patriarchy. Because she's climbed up out of the trenches, raised her head above the parapet, so to speak, entered the battleground and made herself visible, she faces fire. But ultimately, though, through her bravery and resilience, no man's land is crossed and won, and everyone benefits. The soldiers and society advance. This is powerful stuff, and presumably that's why women find that scene so resonant. But her representation is not necessarily that new. In society and the media, women have always been expected to be able to take it. Despite apparently being the weaker sex, it's commonly understood that women's physical bodies can take a lot, not just in terms of childbirth. And she takes it well, and does a splendid job of kicking various asses. And obviously there's a paradox in Wonder Woman too. She leads a brutal charge against the German troops across No Man's Land, but is spurred to do this by the pleas of a distraught mother and child. According to the 70s theme tune, she must also be able to stop a war with love. So as well as being tough, as a woman she must also somehow be soft, nurturing and emotional. Again, something that Melanie and Rainer discussed. Women have always been required to demonstrate both physical and emotional resilience and her character does this all really very well. But personally, I found her to be more stirring and agent when she's shown to be methodical competent and possessing intellectual capital rather than smashing the shit out of churches. Ah, well, you can't have it all. If you'd like to learn more about the history of Wonder Woman, Melanie recommends Jill Lepore's book, The Secret History of Wonder Woman. I'd also recommend Wonder Woman, The Life and Times of the Amazon Princess by Les Daniels and Chip Kidd, which has lots of lovely photographs of Wonder Woman merchandise. Also, it would appear that there's a new biopic due out soon called Professor M and the Wonder Woman, about William Moulton Marston, Elizabeth Holloway Marston and Olive Byrne, and the creation of Wonder Woman. Rainer's book, Superheroes on World Screens, is now available in paperback, And you can check out Melanie's work at www.madamspinups.com And she's also currently undertaking a project on social media 100 Days of Women Heroes And you can find it with the hashtag 100 Days of Women's Heroes So all that remains, other than a cheeky little Easter egg at the very end of this podcast, if you keep listening is for me to say thanks to Raina Dennison from the University of East Anglia Film Department to Melanie Adams of Madam's Pinups to Phil Smith for the considerable tech support he has given me, and to you for listening. Feel free to offer your opinions on my website. Here's looking at yousite.wordpress.com, or tweet me at DrSmut. And also, sign yourself up to be notified when the next podcast drops. I'll be back in a few weeks with another fascinating conversation about the intersection of film, gender, sexuality and performance. So, until our paths cross again, here's looking at you.
2: This was my favorite piece of merch. I went to Comic-Con before Superman vs Batman came out and that was, they had an amazing thing. It was all about the Batmobile and it was all about the boys and at the end they had these and I was just like, I know what
0: that is. Have, so you,
2: favorite piece of merchandise.
0: Have you seen the fantastic picture? I know I showed it to Melanie earlier on of, um, oh, what what's she called? The fearless. the Fearless Girl. That's it, in the middle of New York, you know, facing down the bull. Someone's put one of those tiaras on the Fearless Girl. Really? Yeah, oh, which I thought was should, a really nice little... As beautiful as you think it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that whole idea of role models there for me, that's what's going on there. You know, that's really flipping interesting. Well, I mean,
2: God, the last two times I've been to see it, it's been parents and their little girls
0: Really? The theatre. Oh. I mean, that's
2: just anecdotal, so I didn't want to say yeah. anything, but yeah. for sure, it's something parents are taking their the little girls to. Yeah. And last time we went, there were two little boys sitting in front of us, and one turned to the other one and went, I want to be Wonder Woman when I grow
0: up. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yay! And
2: me just standing behind them
1: going, yay! <laughs> <laughs> When I went to see it the first time, uh, it was the really early show in the the first morning, so the theatre wasn't that full, but there was a mum and and I know her 10-, 12-year-old son sitting on the same row as me. And uh, I remember the the walking onto No Man's Land scene, Mm. the the bit. I was like, floods of tears. And I I turned away to wipe my tears away, and I looked down the aisle, and this boy was holding his mum's hand.
0: And they were both just staring at the screen like it was literally the best thing they'd oh. ever seen.
1: And they just, they just went to hold each other. And they both offered their hand at the same time. It wasn't like oh. the mum grabbed him or he grabbed her. They both just, they wanted
2: to share that emotion.
0: And yeah. I was like, oh, my God. And now I'm crying again. <laughs> I wasn't
2: crying enough already. <laughs> has been writing an article about why women are crying. Yes. Yes. Yeah. During the action scenes, not yeah. when people die. Yeah. The yeah. <laughs> There's something so cathartic about it, yeah. seeing a woman doing that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely.
2: But I, I do also like the internet meme of all the men in Wonder Woman. Diana no, Diana. Diana. <laughs> 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 you know, when I went back and watched it again, just the editing of the movie is yeah, wonderful. Just because, you know, it's so often there's like three or four moments where somebody's going, now don't you go and do, and then she's disappeared from the shot before they <laughs> watch. Do what? I've already done it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Is there anything you want me to plug at the end of the podcast? Is there an out, like a publication? Or is there, you know, anything that you want to plug, Melanie, in terms of merch or anything like that? Your website, that sort of thing?
1: If you want to mention Madam Spenum, she can.
0: Right. On. I guess
1: the thing that's slightly more relevant is that I'm currently doing a 100 days of uh, female heroes. Right. Because I was thinking about this, about the Wonder Woman phenomena, and people saying, we want, you know, I wish there were more female action heroes. Yep. And I was thinking, that there must be lots. There's got to yeah. be. So I thought, can I actually get to 100 days of fictional female heroes? Right.
0: OK. I will give that a mention. What about you, Raina?
2: Superheroes on world screen.
0: Now out in paperback. Right, oh right. I've already got
2: mine on order by the way right <laughs> <laughs>